two passages, uh, Mark 1, 16 to 20, and then 35 to 39. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jumping down to verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. This is God's holy word for us this day that just a little. So I have a question for you. Do you know what the crane kick is? Raise your hand if you think you know what the crane kick is. Not very many. Okay, so um, goes back to, to my childhood of, of kar the karate kid. Right? Do you remember that, that main scene when it's the climax of the movie and um, uh, Daniel LaRusso is the Ralph Macchio character, and they're in this karate battle with the bad guy, the Cobra Kai guys, people, and he's, he's injured in one leg. So he, he stands up on, on just one leg like this, like a crane, and then, I mean, it's like a three-second clip, and then the guy comes and he kicks him. And so let me demonstrate how that looks. You all laugh. But you're right, I'm not going to do that. The medical support team, they're just not ready for that kind of... Uh, but maybe some of our younger ones will be able to demonstrate it later. Um, but here, here's the thing. Um, we have discovered they brought it back. On Netflix, they have a new series called Cobra Kai, which is the same characters and even the same actors 30 years later. So the Ralph Macchios is playing the same guy... Uh, and, and the same guy he kicked in the face in that scene now is back. And they're, they're both starting up their own dojos, their karate training schools. And it's a, it's a great little fun, lighthearted uh, uh, show. But the key is they're both competing to get students who are mainly teenagers. And, and each one wants to pass on to these young men and women um, what their version of karate, what they think is important to, to know about not just doing karate and fighting, but also it's a whole life attitude. And as you watch the show, you realize both of these men um, who are leading these, these dojos, there's the Cobra Kai who were the bad guys back in Karate Kid, and then the Miyagi, whatever that is. Um, they, they, they teach them good things, and I think the kids gain confidence. But these guys are also messed up. Like, they have their own issues to deal with. And so some of the stuff they pass on to the kids is not good. 
And so they're training them in life, but not all that they learn is good. Um, as I thought about our, what we're looking at today, is how Jesus called some young men to follow him, and in a sense become his students. And he would train them in how to live life the way it was meant to be lived. And Jesus had no flaws. And what he taught was good and right and in all ways. But, but here's what I want to focus on. Here, here's the main message I want you to come away with. The group of disciples, the calling of his disciples, was key to the plan of salvation that Jesus had come to bring. That they're not side characters. That they are, are part of God's ultimate plan of salvation. They're essential to what God was going to do. And so we started last week, we looked at the announcement of Jesus in Mark where he says, he begins to say, the kingdom of God is at hand. So the first announcement Jesus makes is God's kingdom is coming to earth. It's right here. It's right now. This is the time. And it's at hand. And so Jesus is going to bring about the start of God's kingdom by his work and ministry. And as soon as he makes that announcement, what does he start doing? He goes to the Sea of Galilee, and he finds four fishermen, two sets of brothers. And while they're fishing, he goes up to them and says, Come, follow me, and I will make you into something different. I will make you into fishers of men. And so I, I find it interesting. He didn't go up to people and say, Hey... You know, since you're not doing anything important, you know, like they were actually out fishing when he did this. You know, so since you're not doing anything important, you know, you want to follow me, you know, I might teach you some good stuff. Now he says, come follow me. What we are going to do, there is nothing more important. So you can leave behind whatever it is you're doing this moment, because what we are going to accomplish is the most important thing in the world. And they... They do it. It says they leave behind their nets. I mean, imagine someone showing up at your workplace and saying, you know, leave your tractor here. Leave your, your paperwork. Leave, leave all that stuff that you're doing. Leave your students in their class and come and literally follow me. We're going to go somewhere. And they do it. Um, the, so it's Simon and Andrew are two of them. Simon later becomes Peter. Um, Jesus gives him a new name, Peter. And actually, it's Peter's story. I think it's Mark, when he writes the story of the gospel, he's writing it based on Peter's point of view, Simon's point of view. And then two other brothers, John and James. And they're, they're, they both are key in the, the story. And what I want to do today is look how these disciples and all the disciples fit into the God's plan of salvation. And so I'm going to go beyond just our text and look, look how, how did they fit into what, what God was doing. And so the first point I want to make is Jesus chose fishermen and other regular folk, not religious leaders, to be his disciples. I think we could too easily breeze past that. If Jesus just wanted to create a religious institution... If all he wanted to do was teach people how to be more religious, he would have picked rabbinical students, students who, who studied the Torah and knew Hebrew and, 
and we're training to be clergy. That's not who he chose. He chose working day people. And I think he chose that for a reason because to be a disciple of Jesus is not, it's not just for the clergy. It's for all people. It's for you and for me. Sure, there's a role for teachers and preachers in, in the work. But the work of being a disciple is for everybody. For fishermen, for carpenters, for accountants, for teachers, for nurses and doctors. The second point I want to get to is the disciples stayed with Jesus and literally followed him from town to town. So we saw that in that, that second part of the, the passage we looked at. And what, what the situation there was is the night before, a whole big crowd had come to seek out Jesus. And he had done healings and did some amazing things. And they're all like, yes! And so the night is over, and, and now it's the next morning. Jesus, rather than sleeping in and catching up on his rest, he got up early that morning. And he found a, a secret place, a quiet place, where he could be alone with the Father. He needed to be in prayer. And I think it might teach us that there's times when we need to get, get to a, a quiet place where we can seek God. But, but while he's there, the disciples come look for him. They had been with him the night before, and, and they come and say, Hey, Jesus, the, the crowds want, are looking for you. And so they're kind of hoping you're going to do more miracles and more healings. Come, come on, let's, let's go back. And Jesus says, Nope, that's not the plan. That's not what I came to do. And so I said, let us instead go to the next town. Because they need to hear about the kingdom of God as well. And no, it's let us go. He's inviting them to go with him. Let us go. They are a key part of his plan, of the work. And they begin following him from town to town. They were to be with him and to watch what he did. They would not only hear his messages, but sometimes they would come later and, and they could ask him deeper questions about what's going on. They, they would camp out in the, the wilderness areas, make a fire and probably fell asleep around the fire. Or sometimes they even had to sleep out in the boats. The, the fishermen still had their access to their boats. Um, around and, and so wherever Jesus went for the next three years, they went as well. And that leads to the next aspect of this. He began training them to do what he did. And he gave them the authority to do it. So after they had seen him do his work in proclaiming the kingdom, at one point he sent them out, two by two, so no one was alone. And so if there's 12, that meant six groups that went out, and they went from town to town in the northern part of Israel, Galilee, to all these little villages and all that, and they were to, he gave them instructions. And they were basically to do what he had done in the first place. They were to start telling people about the kingdom, about the, the good news, that God was, was at hand. And more than that, it says he gave them authority. At one point, he, he designated some to be apostles. And to them, he gave the authority to heal as he healed, 
and to even cast out demons as he had. Jesus knew he was sending them out into enemy territory. And they were going to have to deal with some difficult stuff. So he gave them the authority ahead of time, the spiritual authority to, to do it. He imparted to them what they needed. The next point, Jesus demanded that they go all in to be one of his followers. In the Cobra Kai, that's one of the, the challenges, to go all in. In other words, to, to give everything you got to this. And they walked away from their fishing nets. They left their hometowns. They left behind family and friendships. Can you imagine the hurt feelings that would have happened as, as they... They walked away. You got to think Zebedee, the the father of James and John, was pretty mad. Like when his his sons, who he expected to probably keep the business going, when all of a sudden they disappear and and there he is. He he has the boat and the nets. You can imagine there were some, it felt difficult. It it affected their relationships. But Jesus said, you got to, you got to follow me. If you want to, if you want to do this, if you want to be in, you got to go all in. And in Mark eight, this is a key passage. By by Mark chapter eight, Jesus had told them that he was going to go to Jerusalem, where he would be killed. And then he gathers the people, and he basically he invites people to follow with him. He says, if anyone would come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. If you want to follow me, you better be ready to face the cross, to face your death as well. And, and he's saying, if, if you are willing to give up your life like that, then know this, that you are actually gaining life. Because you will get a hold of the eternal life that, that God is giving. But if you're not willing to lose the life you have in the moment, you're going to miss out on this opportunity to really gain life. And so he's saying, are you willing to stand with me? Are you going to be ashamed of me if other people are deriding me? Are you going to be embarrassed to be known as one of my followers? Can I ask it? Does it ever feel risky to follow Jesus? Do you ever wonder? Man, I don't know. It, it seems like the, the, there's a lot of people that don't like Christians right now. Does it ever feel risky? And then ask, is he worth it? If it really came to it, if you knew you would you'd lose it all for following Jesus, would he be worth it? What if they told you they're, they're even going to kill you? Is he worth that? I think the disciples, by setting the standard of going all in, they followed him to Jerusalem. They were ready to die for him. I think they set a standard that lasted for the church. There's a young woman a couple hundred years later, around 200 AD. Her name is Perpetua. She was um, 22 years old. She had two, two kids. Um, one of them a nursing infant. She was a, a widow. Her husband had died. Um, but she was one of the Christians. And one night, her, as well as her whole group, were arrested. And in the Roman Empire at the time, it was illegal to be a Christian. And 
And to prove that you weren't a Christian, you had to give offerings to the Roman emperor. That's how you would prove that you were a good citizen and not a Christian. Um, well, here is this young mom who's still nursing a baby. And her father, who is not a Christian, had a little bit of pull with the governor. And he managed to, first of all, arrange that, that the baby would be brought to her while she was in prison so she could nurse him. But then he, he got time to come try to convince her to, to, not, um, to not go through with this. Just to, hey, have pity on me. I'm an old man. You know, I, I don't want to say, have pity on your baby. Who will raise your baby if, if, you, if you don't worship the emperor like this? But Perpetua would have none of it. I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus. And so the day came of the hearing. It says, Perpetua and her friends were marched before the governor, Hilarianus. Perpetua's friends were questioned first, and each in turn admitted to being a Christian, and each in turn refused to make a sacrifice to the emperor. And then the governor turned to question Perpetua. And at that moment, her father, carrying Perpetua's baby son in his arms, burst into the room. He grabbed Perpetua and pleaded, perform the sacrifice, have pity on this baby. Hilarionis, the governor, probably wishing to avoid the unpleasantness of executing a mother who is still nursing a child, added, have pity on your father's gray head, have pity on your infant son, offer the sacrifice for the welfare of the emperor. Oh, it's so simple, Perpetua. You could still live. And Perpetua simply replied, I will not. Are you a Christian then, asked the governor. Yes, I am, Perpetua said. She and her friends, the five Christians of other Christians, were flogged, whipped violently, and then they were set, they uh, tied up and, and had wild animals set loose to kill them. The disciples are the ones who set that pattern of being going all in. The disciples would also bear witness to the death and resurrection of Christ. They weren't actually killed. They did follow, The disciples were willing to follow him to Jerusalem. They said, let us go with him that we might die as well. But it turns out the Romans weren't particularly interested in the disciples. And the Jewish leaders assumed that once Jesus was dead, they would scatter. So they left them alone. And they were able to be close enough to see it. Especially the women. The women went all the way up to the cross and were there when Jesus was crucified. And so they saw him killed. They were there when he was wrapped in the grave cloths. They were there. They saw him be placed in the tomb, the rock tomb. And they were there and saw him when three days later he was alive again. They saw it with their own eyes. They could not doubt it. And, and this was a key part of the plan, that, that they were eyewitnesses to this all. Because for the next 30 to 40 years, they would be able to tell anyone who asked, yes, I saw it with my own eyes. He, he did rise from the dead. You see, the, the apostles were given the, the role of staying in Jerusalem. We oftentimes talk about Paul, the apostle, for those who know his story. He was given the role of taking the message into the Roman world to the non-Jews. 
but the uh, the original 12, they, they replaced Judas who betrayed Jesus, and so they had still 12. They stayed in Jerusalem where it was the persecution would come and go. And and the reason why they stayed was was so that when people would come, that they would be findable. And so if you had come to faith in Jesus based on the word of someone else, you knew you could travel to Jerusalem, you could find these original apostles, and you could look them in the eye and say, did it really happen? Is it really worth my life to follow him? And they could look you back in the eye and say, yes, he rose from the dead. It's all true. And they did that giving their own lives. All of the um, disciples were eventually um, martyred on their own when they were older. And in the midst of this, Peter, Simon, the first one, was the rock. He stood tallest and gave others courage. So the disciples were key to God's plan of salvation going forth in the world. And then we're also told the apostles were the base on which God would build the church. The one holy universal Christian church. Ephesians 2 says that our faith of the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. In other words, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the key to it all. He's the Savior. He's the one. But on the base of this building, on which God is building his people up, you first of all have the Old Testament people, the prophets symbolizing the people of the, the previous covenant. And then the apostles were the foundational to the new covenant people, the new followers of Jesus growing up. We all follow in what they first first did. So in that, they are part of the foundation. I want to answer a few questions as soon as this siren passes. So there, there may be questions you might have on this. One is, what is the difference between a disciple and an apostle? So in Mark, there are many disciples. Um, and there are many who decide to follow Jesus, become students of Jesus. There are 12 who are designated apostles. And in Mark 3, we're given their names. Um, a disciple simply means one who is a student, who's learning from. An apostle, the word in Greek means one who is sent out. So the apostles would be sent out to, to do the work. They were authorized to do the mission. So that's the difference. So so all, many today are still of disciples. Disci uh, an apostle was a sm much smaller group. Why did Jesus choose 12 apostles? What's significant about that? And it is very significant. Because it corresponds to the Old Testament 12 tribes of Israel. And so you have the 12 tribes of Israel based out of the 12 sons of Jacob. And that consisted then of the Old Testament people of God. And so in Jesus, when he chose 12 new apostles, he was declaring to anyone who knew that story that he was now reconstituting the people of God in a new way. And so now you have the, the, the 12 uh, apostles representing 
the people of God of the New Testament. It's interesting if you read in Revelation, how many elders are around the throne worshiping God? Does anyone know that? Did you guys get into that with uh, 24? 12 and 12. It's representing the people of God, the followers of the um, people of God throughout history. So here's a question that sometimes gets asked. Why, why were all the apostles men? Why was that necessary? Is it because only men can be leaders? Well, there were women who were leaders in, in the New Testament times and throughout church history. But for practical reasons, the 12 apostles had to be men um, because they would travel together. Literally, remember, they would go and spend nights out in the wilderness. And, and that just was not acceptable for a mixed company group there would have been all kinds of assumptions being made about any woman who was a part of that group at that time. And so it would have caused a scandal. It would have become a distraction. So all the, all the apostles who were to travel from town to town with Jesus had to be men. Um, but there were women, who were many women who were disciples. And some of them even had specific leadership roles, supporting the ministry and that, that would as well. Here's a big question that gets sometimes, or should be asked. Are there apostles today? That's one that will start a fight among certain church circles. Um, it's definitely debated between different denominations and churches. Are there apostles today? So back where I was in Ohio, one of the main churches in our town was what's called the Apostolic Church. And they, they believe that by, through the Holy Spirit that some are gifted to be apostles. And so they call their leaders apostles. And that they have that authority, same authority that the 12 apostles had. Um, we also might also know that our, our friends in the Catholic Church, as well as the Episcopal Church, and I think of the Methodist Church, also in a sense believe in, in apostles today. They have what's called apostolic Succession, which means the original apostles, um, when, before they died, they laid their hands on others, who then in turn laid their hands on others, and, and that gift of apostleship was passed down so that the bishops in those churches are considered as apostles today. Um, in evangelical churches, it's, it's the views are varied. Here's my take. I don't think anyone can declare themselves to be an apostle. Jesus chose and he declared who his apostles were. And I don't think that's anyone, someone, a designation anyone should take upon themselves. Um, but I do think apostleship is a gift. And it's a quality of boldness that enables someone to take the message to a new territory. So many missionaries are gifted with that same kind of gift as apostleship because they're going to new places and seeing the, the word of God go where it has not gone before. So I, I see that as the gift of apostleship, but I don't think any, any person should, at least for themselves, declare themselves to be an apostle. Um, that's how I read it. But we are all called to be disciples. We could all and should all take that mantle a disciple is someone who's learning what learning life by following Jesus. We've become students of the Master. 
And in Mark 3, uh, at one point, Jesus uh, is, is talking about who those who, who seek God's will. He says, anyone who seeks to do God's will, and anyone who's learning from me how to follow God, they are my brother and sister and mother, a community of people together, of men and women, young and old, you know, sisters and mothers, who are following Jesus together. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be a part of those community of followers, a community of disciples. Last question. How is following Jesus different than for us than it was back then? So the obvious truth is the disciples in Mark literally followed Jesus, like walking right next to him. Um, We are called to follow Jesus in a similar way but metaphorical way. Um, obviously, it's, it's not the same in that sense. But when I say metaphorically, I, I need to say it is more than a metaphor. It's not just a metaphor. That, that there's, there's a realness to it. And I say that because the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, lives with us. In John 14, Jesus is telling the disciples what it's going to be like to follow him after he's gone. And they're trying to understand it. And he says, I'm going to send the, the Spirit. The Spirit is going to dwell in you and be with you. And then he says this key thing. He says, I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He is still with us. He is with us as we walk through life. When we've given him our lives, we trusted in him. So we do follow him. And there are three works of being a disciple. First is be with him. That's what they were supposed to do. Be where he was at. Be with him. Your first job as a disciple is to know Jesus and learn to love him more and more each day. This is not just about doing his work. You've got to seek him. Seek, seek him with all your heart. To come and pray is not just to come with a list of things you need or a list of people that that you know we want to pray for. When you come to him, come and, and bear your heart. Bring him your struggles, your heartaches. Bring him your joys. Bring him your life. Be with him. I know some days I, I come and I, I've even written this in, in my journal. I says, Lord, I don't feel very spiritual today. I know our hearts go up and down in that sense of closeness and intimacy with God. But even then, Lord, I, I don't feel much like praying. I don't feel very spiritual, but here I am. Maybe that's all you can do some days, but do that. He'll, he'll take you. The broken and hon- contrite heart, he will not spurn. He will not despise. The second job of a disciple is learn his ways. If you follow Jesus, your life will be changed. If you truly commit yourself to to learning him and and studying his word, learning with other disciples, he will start to change you from the inside out. What did he say? Follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. I will make you. I will change you. He will change who you are. You will find yourself caring about things you didn't realize you cared about. You will find yourself treating people differently because the Holy Spirit will start to spur 
compassion for others in you. Follow me, and I will change you. We are to learn his ways. And then lastly, join the mission. I will make you fishers of men and women. He invites us to go with him and be a part of the kingdom of God. Let us go to these other towns because they need to hear as well. And here's what I love about the church. This is the best thing about local congregations. Is God pulls together very different people into a single single body so that our our uniqueness and our gifts can serve him. You see, we're not just solo artists. We're not just doing for him out on our own. He pulls us together into a group of people and 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 you can be who you are and and still have a role for God. I know there are some people who are outgoing and, and are just great at conversation and and talking with people, and that God uses that. There are also some of you, I bet, who are quiet. And the idea of talking to a stranger is is terrifying. Is there anyone out there like that? Right? In, in Within the body of Christ, he can take your gifts and what you are good at and use it for the kingdom work. And I love seeing when that happens in the church. I love having a place where those who are good at at sound technology, those who love to get up and sing, but also those who would rather just set up chairs, those who are, you know, like to hold babies, can, can work in the nursery, and it can all go for the purposes of God. Three questions. If you had been there at the Sea of Galilee, do you think you would have followed him? Left your nets there and said, I'm in. Would that have been you? What does it mean for you now, in practical terms, to be a disciple of Jesus? What does that look like for you each day? And lastly, what has changed in your life? If you've been following Jesus for a while, what has changed in your life or in your character, your heart, since you started following Jesus? Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you invite us to follow you, to know you, to grow in you, to live for you. And you enable us to be a part of of this great plan of salvation that is working its way out throughout this world. I thank you that the, the good news of your son is spreading from town to town, to people to people. And Father, there's no greater joy than being a part of that. So Father, I pray that you would use this particular fellowship of people that we might bear witness to your son in, in ways that we, we don't even know how. But Lord, you can show us. May we follow you with all we have. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's stand as we close this morning and invite you to sing along on this song that we did as special music. I will follow. I pray that these words will be a response from our hearts. One time the, the disciples saw Jesus praying and they saw he had a way of praying they did not know how to do. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And it is then that Jesus gave them the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. And so I want to invite you to, to pray that with us, pray that together. But don't just say the words. In your mind and your heart as we pray this out loud, 
try to echo the, the, the prayers and lift them up to God. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I think I missed a line. Sorry. Go in God's peace.